0: The 307 RPG Podcast is streamed live every Sunday morning on twitch.tv slash 307RPG at 9 a.m. Mountain Time. You can also find us at our website 307RPG.com, on YouTube, and on most podcasting apps. Good morning everybody and welcome to the 307 RPG Podcast. I'm Patrick. I'm Noel. Zach, we didn't hear you buddy, we lost you. Nope, can't hear you now. Gotta love tech. Can you hear me now? Hey, there he is. This is my Verizon audition. I'm Zach. <laughs> well, you know what? If I had any say in the matter, you're hired. <laughs> all right, well, today, guys, we are going to forgo our normal chatter of news and special topics because we are joined by a couple of people from Battlelords of the 23rd century to talk about their latest project. Uh, in this case, we're going to be talking with Kurt and Dave to tell us about their latest project, Fully Armored, which is currently on Kickstarter. So, Kurt, Dave, how you guys doing?
1: Doing okay, cool. cool.
0: Good, good. Why don't we take a minute and have you both introduce yourself? Kurt, we'll start with you since you logged on first, and we're just going to go in that order. So, Kurt, we'll start with you.
2: All right. I'm Kurt. I'm part of the development team. Primarily, I do a lot with the species and equipment and, and that. Cybernetics. also been playing Lords since probably late 90s, early 2000, when I met Dave and Tony, and uh, and been playing various RPGs since, you know, actually... Early '80s, so D and D, Shadowrun, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, those kind of. So
0: you know, Shadowrun is those, is one of those games that every time I see a Shadowrun book, I want to pick it up, I want to look through it, I want to buy it, but then I'm like, nope, it'll just be me playing, and I have to put it back. Because <laughs> I I think the game is I think it just looks incredible. I used to play the Shadowrun video game on my Sega Genesis many many years ago, and just loved it. Anyway, <laughs> absolutely. Dave, let's uh, let's go to you. Welcome back to the show, Dave.
1: Thank you very much. I appreciate being able to come back. Just a little bit about my background from a gaming perspective. I started... What um, I'm older than Dirt. Uh, dirt was cool, though. It made it a lot easier to grow food. Uh, way back with the original blue booklet, D&D, and the box with the dragon on the front, and uh, before there was an advanced D&D. It didn't exist yet. Um, and the old Greyhawk booklets. like uh, the, you know, the original booklet size, so... Travelers was kind of the other big thing I played b- way back when. There weren't a lot of choices back then. So those were, that was my sci-fi RPG start. Um, and then Top Secret came along, and that was pretty cool. I've played uh, a little bit of um, Gangbusters going back uh, again a few days. Star Frontiers, Shadowrun. Tony pulls into a lot of things. Millennium Zen was interesting. Don't play it like Top Secret. It it, it doesn't go well. <laughs> and then I met Tony at college and uh, started playing Lords probably in the uh, early 90s mid 90s so been involved ever since and and we were a pain in the neck on the uh, original creators of the game because we always questions about well how does this work and how would this work and what if you did these two things together and uh, there's a lot of mechanics in the game that really play off of each other so it's like well if i did this then this would that like combine and and so we would ask all kinds of creative questions and we ended up with a binder you know quarter inch thick of (laughs) questions. we made them sign it (laughs) They said, thanks,
0: Zach. I could see you doing something like that. I, I could. I'm just, you know, it's just one of those things. I think if uh, you had been playing games years ago when you didn't have access to the Internet, you'd be that person who was like, hey, how does this work? Just how you are. <laughs> you know, like, right, yeah, I know. yeah, I know. All I right. Like so. We, I know we've had you guys, we've had Dave and Tony on the show before to talk about what is Battle Lords, because it was a new game for me, although it's been around since what, the 90s? Is that correct? So I hadn't heard of it before. And I know Zach and Nolan hadn't heard of it before. So let's take a minute. And, and then Dave, we'll start with you and have you just tell our audience what Battle Lords is. Now, I do have a link to the podcast or to the episode where we had you and Tony on to talk about it. But let's go ahead and just refresh everybody's memory. What is Battle Lords of the
1: 23rd century? Right. Battle Lords is a military sci-fi game created by Larry Sims, uh, late 80s, and a lot of Gen Con, I think, like 80s. Again, older here, sorry. And uh, so military sci-fi kind of a game, he wanted something that was like D&D but with guns, and so he created it. And uh, so we've picked it up uh, in its most current incarnation, but to give you an idea of what's out there, it's an expansive world background that we're in, uh, exploration of the galaxy, there's a bit of a Star Troopers feel because you have these alien invading species going on, uh, they're mercenaries, and this world is full of corporations, and they run everything, and the corporations have big wigs, They've got the money. They're called the suits. Everyone else, not suits. And uh, so very much a, dis- a disconnect between those who have and those who do not. Uh, and the mercenary life is one of the ways out of being stuck in that boring factory job every day, 24 seven. For my aspect, uh,
2: you know, to build on the military sci-fi, there's also aspect of fifth element, you know, like Dave said with the uh, corporations, but uh, there's a lot of parts where you can play it kind of like Firefly, serenity, out in the frontiers, you've got limited resources, you're fighting to stay alive and keep the ship flying, that kind of stuff. All the way up onto, if you want to do a full military you know, like you said, Starship Troopers or uh, even Aliens type uh, type of game where you're going to a world to pacify it for settlers. It's, uh, you know, you can do all those things in it. So it's it's so broad and expansive. The other thing that we found uh, after we played a little bit with it is there's also a lot of espionage that you can do with this. So if you want to do a spy campaign, we got a lot of cool toys and stuff like that to make it really really interesting to do that if that's kind of your uh, your thing so that was kind of one of the things i f- kind of fell in love with it is because you can do anything with the system it's it's broad it's expansive the rule set is generic enough that you can just kind of take it and run with it however you want to play it
1: Rangest campaign i've run the uh, players got a hold of a ship and they turned it into a cruise liner and ran a cruise at some point it kind of became less fun because it became accounting and that kind of a thing and they're like we're going to retire these characters because they have no reason to adventure now. <laughs> they're raking in the money. They're doing well enough, <laughs> so it can go a lot of different directions.
0: That's great. Let's talk about how both of you came to the game, Kurt. Let's let's start with you this time. Um, tell us how you came to Battlelords and how you even ended up being on the back end of it, so where you're part of the creative uh, creative team.
2: Well, I had been gaming, like I said, for quite a while, and uh, I had just moved to Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, had not really found a gaming group or anything like that, but I had found this lovely martial arts studio, and I started working out there, and then, lo and behold, Tony shows up, and then he brings Dave, and we had something in common. We all are Hopkido black belts, so we all love to throw each other around. Um, and you probably can't tell from this, but I'm about six foot and about 240 pounds. And Dave and Tony just love to slam me around back and forth all over the floor because they're actually higher rank than I am. We can take <laughs> so it. So it, it made it a lot of fun because I could take it. I hit the ground, you know, make these big noises and get right back up. And people would be like, uh... So and then we got to talking more and more and it's like, hey, you guys are gamers. Well, you know, I used to play a lot of this and this and this. And he's like, well, you know, we should get together. And then next thing we know, we're hanging out. And um, Tony just has this massive library of, of books. I mean, because I had played a number of different things, and had some friends that did like BattleTech and stuff like that and touched a toe in on those. But he just started pulling out all these different games and, and like, OK, let's try this out and see how we, you know, what's fun about it. And, and just kept going and he had um, just finished up uh, with blood of heroes and had had it out for a while and had been running that he's like let's try this and you know that was interesting the superhero game which which was actually pretty fun we had a lot of good good times with that one as well but i mean what it ended up being was he's like okay battle lords he's like He's like, this is one of my older favorites. And so we started playing and then they asked him to do one of the source books for beyond the rift. And it was kind of interesting because Tony, Tony's pretty task driven. So if when he hit blocks, he was, he would blanket all his friends and go, well, what do you think? What can I do with this? How can I make this different? How can I make this weird? Well, you know what, what fits with this? And so we all started firing off, you know, conversation and and that and he's like, Oh, that's great. So when the Battle Lords guys reached out to him. He's like, Okay, I think I know some people that will help on this and and let's go. So you know, Dave's been working on, you know, alternative weapon systems and that that he's put in his own games for years. And he really, really likes the spaceships and, and vehicles that he's like, so I got a guy that can do that. He's like, and I can take care of the armor and weapons. He's like, but we need somebody for, else, for something else. And one of my careers out of my three was technical writing. So he's like, Kurt kind of knows this stuff, so let's see what he can do. And so uh, I picked up the equipment and cybernetics and species. And they were kind of irritated with me at first because it took a really long time to get the species captured back to them. But when I did, when, when I finished it up, they were... Both made the comment. We can't believe you got this—you know, two more species and all this stuff in less than the original pages with more information. They're like, "How did you do that?" I'm like, "That's kind of what a technical writer does. So every every sentence means something." So they're like, "Okay, let's keep going."
1: Or please,
0: that's awesome. All right, Dave, let's turn it over to you now.
1: Sure, I'll just uh, tag back to the DC. Uh, sorry, to Blood of Heroes. Just for those who are not familiar with it, it was actually the DC. Heroes Mayfair Game System rule set um, without the licensing for the DC Heroes ported over and new uh, heroes were created. So that's where that was at. Um, Pulsar Games was the name of the company he ran. So yeah, I've, uh, Tony and I have been playing since college, so we've, we've known each other a very long time. So we've always had ideas about how to do things a little differently. And uh, you know, with my background, so one of the weird things about Bad Lords for me and for him both, and probably Kurt as well, was. When you got into the game, you're like, it's a sci-fi game, but there really aren't spaceships or spaceship pools. So how's it sci-fi again? Um, so I went off and created something because I grew up in the traveler's mindset. I'm like, I got to have ships to fly around on to get to places. So I want at least something to help be part of the the backstory, if nothing else. Um, and then as I was fiddling with the rules and ended up in, like I said, that campaign where we ended up running a cruise line somehow. Um, so it was just trying to, you know, try out different things and see what kind of fit together and worked. Tony likes to say a lot, we start with what is realistic, the science part of things, and then we scale it back towards fun. Because at the end of the day, um, for those of you who do remember the original rules for playing Travelers, Ship to Ship Combat, it got into vector math. And if you're not into vector math, like most of us, um, it wasn't that fun. If you are into vector math, like some crazy people who will go out and do these kinds of things, um, then, yeah, we're like, oh, this is cool, but a lot of work. So we wanted to, you know, introduce some things and and try to keep that fun element. Um, And Battle Lords, one of the key things about Battle Lords that it makes it really good is that it's really focused around the players. So even though you have vehicles, you have mecha, you have tanks, you have spaceships, you have aerial support, all these things. It's still about the gameplay of the team working together, because that's what Larry really wanted from the beginning, is you go to boot camp, you have all these different people. They could have been rich, they could have been poor, white, black, Asian, doesn't matter. You're all together, you all have to work together, because if you get out there, into the middle of combat, you have to rely on each other. And so that, that was what he was looking for when he built this game, and that's one of, the, one of the core things we tried to keep in there. And then there's, of course, the dark humor that comes along with, with military, <laughs> so we've, we've definitely kept that in there.
0: I'll throw it over to Nolan and Zach. Do either of you guys have a question before we dive into the main project?
1: I
3: think the the question I said, you know, we've heard a couple of references for somebody that sci-fi just kind of is a little different to everybody. Um, you, is there a good example of something that you could say, this is kind of a model or it's a little bit of this and this. When you start talking space travel, it means probably something different to me than it does to somebody else. Um, but just kind of for a reference point, uh, is there kind of something that you're like, yeah, that they kind of have our world in mind or we really like what they're doing or is it just we like all of it and it's one big fat thing?
1: I'm not sure I'm following where you're going. And- well, I know you're like, you
3: like you you kind of mentioned like some Firefly stuff um, and that kind of like is that kind of one of those things of like I again, I guess it seems so big and so massive when you say the sci-fi and it's a little bit of everything there. Is that really what it's designed for is just kind of being a little bit of what you bring to the table or is there like a a world that you say like Mass Effect is kind of similar to what we're after or something like that.
1: Gotcha. So we do have a lot of backdrop, and, and Kurt, feel free to jump in. I'll, we'll, I'll I'll, kind of come back to that in a second. But um, a big part of it really is how do people want to play the game because the mechanics will let you do darn near anything. And so that's why we kind of look for what is that movie that kind of is that reference point people get. You want to play like Firefly? Doable. Totally doable. You want to play like you're in Fifth Element. Doable. You want to play like James Bond. Doable. Just with really, really futuristic gadgets. Um, you want to play like you're in Starship Troopers, you're in the military, there's a bunch of invading critters coming your way, and you've got a gun and two buddies, and you're hoping that's good enough. We've got that. So as we look at gameplay, it, it, it really there's a lot of different ways you can kind of take this game and play it. Um, you want to be pirates. Knock yourself out. <laughs> so yes. from a backstory perspective, the themes we've got are the haves and the have-nots. We've got the military. There's this, this invasion going on. The overarching alliance of species has uh, a council. So, this overarching council is really trying to do two prongs. Let's go explore new spaces so that we have more places to support the war effort. One, to survive if we lose track of things and we get surrounded or flanked while fighting them off um, and uh, exploring new spaces, another part of this. I didn't even talk about that. Kurt?
2: Cool. With the matrices added into it, to me it has a, it's a mixture of everything from Star Wars to Fifth Element to Firefly to, to Starship Troopers. I mean, every aspect of the game is is kind of touches on those. Where you've got entire planets that are basically a big city to you know out in the sticks on Tatooine, uh you've got your matricy users which have similar powers to like a wizard or the force you know and each one of them can kind of design their own or, or at least uh, pick their own uh, progressions and what they're learning so it's kind of kind of all over the board on that i mean uh, when Larry originally des- designed it, I think he said, oh, that sounds cool. And that sounds cool. And that sounds cool. And I'm just going to pull all this stuff into one system. And that's kind of what it is. So, I mean, it's, it's got that aspect of, you know, a little bit of everything. And I think with this redesign, because uh, we wanted it playable on every level, that that's kind of what we've done is. And in fact, one of our, um, one of our second book actually, Charlie Foxtrot has examples, like five different examples, six different examples of how to play it. You know, and everything from military to pirates and mercenaries to even colony inspectors, uh, was one of them where you're literally going to a planet and going, okay, I check out their, you know, their people, make sure they're healthy. I check out their uh infrastructure to make sure it's working, you know, If that's kind of the level of granularity you want to go to, you can do it. Um, It's just wide open. I was
3: going to say, with you guys talking about space travel and how you get there, I suppose it's as somebody walking into the game, you can throw something out there. And if your players like it, it's great. Or you could just hop on a ship and head to the next planet over and try something else. And that gives you some freedom, too. It's very cool. Exactly. Cutscene.
0: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, there's a lot of
3: bugs there. You guys aren't equipped for that. See ya. Let's
0: go be pirates. Zach, do you have any questions before we jump into the main project? Yeah,
4: before we jump to the main project, could you give a very, very brief overview of how the game plays, like the mechanics of it? Um, I have I'm f- believe it's a percentile system, yes, but like, we don't have to get in-depth, just like one or two sentences about how the game works.
1: Sure. I'll start by just saying we do have free quick-start rules out there from Drive-Thru RPG, and we always encourage people to start there, because again, we want to start with Fun. And so some people really get into the complexity and the ability to play rules. So kind of like Magic the Gathering has the ability to stack things. That is definitely something you'll see play out in the, in the game with some of the equipment and things. But from a the way the gameplay works perspective, it's real straightforward. It is you get a percentile roll and you always roll low. The only time you don't want to roll low, we try to make it consistent. Rolling low is good, except for damage. Then you want to roll high. But in general, you're trying to roll low. So it's uh, as you build your character out. Your level of skill plus the skill, uh, the stat it links to, combined to give you a number, and that number is the base chance of doing things. And then, if you want to get complex and crunchy, you can always add in. Well, you're trying to shoot somebody. He's going on a uh, skimmer that way. He's going 200 kilometers an hour. He's so far out. He's got trees that get in the way. And you can go like, I'm going to give you a 20 for this, 40 for that. Let's do it at a minus 60. Or you can say, you know what, you've done this particular lot. You recognize this lot. It's one you've done a thousand times. I'm going to give you a bonus of plus 50 to get it. So you can kind of ad lib it or you can try to go through the book and pull out from all the different tables how you want to do it. But simplistically, this number or less, you roll the presentals and then you're successful or not.
4: Okay. So, yeah, you just have, you roll under the number that, and it's like everything is on your sheet, correct? Like, you don't have to be like, I rolled a 50, does that hit? It's like, no, this is my skill? Uh,
1: Everything that you need on your uh, sheet, not including any uh, one-off adjustments that the the, uh, GM may give you. So they may say, hey, you're going to have a minus 50 to this. And sometimes they will keep it secret and say, how much did you make it by? Mm, You don't know the difficulty sometimes. So that's a a, a twist you can do, too. Kurt? And that's... The one thing
2: on the system, the number crunch is at the front. So when you're doing character generation, that's when you're you're seeing and calculating all your numbers. Once you're in gameplay, it's already done. The The character sheets are designed to have that in place. So, you know, it's real quick. OK, I got a 150 chance to hit. He's given me a minus 60. I still got a 90 percent chance to hit. You know, it's it's quick, easy math like that once you get into it. Very cool. Very cool. Um... Just you two personally—is
4: this how you prefer? I'm—I know we all like different things at different times, but you're also designers. Does this appeal to your sensibilities? Do you want this kind of forefront number crunching rather than like exception based Dungeons and Dragons, fireballs, and lightning bolts kind of stuff?
2: I like the quick and easy part of it. I mean, if you do it ahead of time, it really allows the game flow. To go quicker it becomes more of a storytelling with rolling the dice is just you know a quick part of it um and i don't know if uh in the past and this was one thing that was you know very bad about the system you would have a 10 second combat with you know 10 different people and it would take two hours to do we've shortened this down to 30 minutes with with the changes we've made so <laughs> That was one of the things that we went into uh, with the expectation is we want it to flow fast and furious because we like that interaction. People are talking, coming up with ideas. That's what we want to hear. You know, rolling that, rolling the dice during it is just kind of, you know, part of the game. But uh, for the most part, it's like, who am I shooting at? What am I going to do? Am I going to hide behind cover? That's the kind of stuff we want them to more think about as opposed to, you know, I got to calculate this out in in detail <laughs> on every combat.
0: Very cool. Thank you. I seem to remember, Dave, when you and Tony were here last, that you guys did say the game can be very crunchy.
1: Yes, that's, that's another thing that we've done as well, is to try to highlight with the rule set that it can start off very lightweight, um, use the quick start rules and go, um, and you're basically rolling when you need to. Um, we've added in the idea of uh, to encourage GMs not to just make everything a roll, right? Just play, just ad lib it and role play through it. But then um, those are those who really enjoy crunch, like the people who like battle tech or for those of you who are out there and remember Starfleet battles um, and uh, get into bazillions of rules like this thick. Um, we've got that in there, too. And um, we keep joking. We need to make a Hackmaster version. <laughs> who knows? Maybe someday. <laughs> but you can add in. I mean, there's a there's a table, a full page of different modifiers you can have for shooting at something. Does it have cover? How much? Does it have concealment? How much? How fast is it moving? Is it, you know, da da, da, da. There's all kinds of modifiers you can add um, from a quick start, quick either of gameplay kind of a thing versus, okay, let's take a couple seconds here. I'm going to need a minute to go look through the table and add this all up. That's the trade-off is you then end up having to go into the table and kind of look at all these things. But can you get the accuracy in there you want? Yeah, absolutely. So That's trade-off and give people the opportunity. How crunchy do you want to be?
4: How crunchy do you want it to be?
1: Some days I just want it to be Fast and Furious. We've got a nice story going and we just have cool things going on and really crazy ideas. I love the crazy ideas. Frankly, if somebody comes up with something that's really cool and I just want to see if it'll play out, I'll be like, I'm going to give you a bonus. It's like, you didn't. I missed, I missed it by 10. I'm like, you just got a plus 20 bonus. Do this. <laughs> Sometimes it's like, you know, I really want to be a little more battle techie. And it's like, okay, let's get things out on the table and we'll do that. Um, the, the catch is the more you get into that, the more it gets away from the people and the team. And so that's, again, one of those are the trade offs. So from a gameplay perspective, for what Battlelords at its core is, it's really people coming together, um, working together, they don't even have to trust each other. And that's, the, that's the fun part. You've got this species called the Fentari who are this, uh, uh, basically, they, they don't trust anybody because their their whole society is about survival of the fittest. If you survive, you are fit, and you're worthy. And if you screw up, you're not worthy, and somebody will take care of that. And you may not trust the Fintari completely, but you need to know that he will do what you, he needs to so that he gets out of this scenario as well, right? So it, there's 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 trust and there's trust, and you have to work through that sometimes.
2: For myself, I like using the quick start rules and the Fast and Furious during like conventions and that. Uh, but what I'm playing with Dave and Tony and that, we know the rules fairly well, so it, it goes fairly quick, even as we're applying those modifiers and stuff like that. So we like it a little bit more crunchy, uh, but, uh, you know, and we've had individuals at the cons tell us that we ran it too light because they know all the rule sets even better than we do. And we're like, yeah, this you had five people on here that don't know the game. That's why we're running it. Well, okay, but...
3: Well, I think we see that with everything. You know, there's sometimes where you go through and you get jumped by a couple bandits in D&D and it happens. And then the DM disappears for a minute, comes back with the battle map and the miniatures, and you know you're in for a session, right? So I think I think it happens with all games and the ability to pick and choose those moments for story, I feel is just fantastic.
0: I want to say I did add a link in the show notes for the quick start rules as well as, and I know I mentioned this last time you were on, Dave, Red Moon role does a fantastic uh, Last Resort at the Space Resort. So if you haven't listened to that and you're interested about Battle Lords of the 23rd century, I highly recommend that you go and listen to this. I, When I listened to it, is anybody here besides me familiar with the sci-fi cartoon yeah. movie uh, Titan AE? Yeah, yes. that's what this Last Resort in the Space Resort, I just kept thinking Titan AE the whole time. and I'm like, now I want to go watch the movie. So uh, it's really a lot of fun. I highly recommend people listen to it. It's a great way to just kind of hear what a scenario can be like in Lords. So you should go check it out. All right. With that being said, let's talk about this Kickstarter that you guys have going on. You have a new source book coming out called Fully Armored, right? Yes. We, I, yes. I'm looking at this. I'm like, is that a Gundam? Is that a Space Marine? What do we got going on here? So, so who wants to start tell us about this new book
1: i'll do a quick framing and then kurt i'll let you kind of jump in and run uh, so for those who've been around with Battlelords for a long time um, people will recognize the term uh, the, the the title lock and load uh it was a series of books with armor and equipment this is in that vein but it is not the prior edition of lock and load just brought forward with the changes in the rule sets, we have to update the rules in the in the mechanics of the of the various weapons. Uh, so there is definitely some of the stuff from prior editions in there. Um, but it's sort of like uh, lock and load plus plus minus minus some additional things and new things and some things that we didn't put in there. Um, frankly, again, we page counts they're they're there for a reason. So so it's kind of a mix of stuff, some stuff that's been made before and stuff that's flat new.
2: And so from. Uh, What I like to put in is when we redid the uh, core rules, we had roughly over a thousand pages of changes and and additions and weapons and equipment that we wanted to put into it, which, you know, if you've seen our core rule book, it is 544 pages is a monster tomb. It can be used as a hand weapon. We uh, decided that a thousand pages was a little excessive, even for us. And so we cut it back, and so lock and load is all the weapons that we couldn't get into the core rulebook, and some some more on top of that, uh, put into place, as well as a lot of the equipment and cybernetics that we felt you know we wanted to get in there, we just couldn't. So with the core rulebook, what it does is it stratifies into areas. So you got like low low end weapons, medium weapons, high end weapons, um, and the same thing with armor. And so we didn't have a lot of variety or a little lot of uh, areas that span those and so that's what this book does is it kind of spans all the way from the beginning all the way up to the high end um and really it's it's just more more gear (laughs) more armor more weapons more equipment more cybernetics and in fact even with this more gear there's still stuff we had to cut yep (laughs) so (laughs)
1: If you yeah. want to think of it this way, it's like we have a weapon for a first level, level player, a weapon for a fifth level player, and a weapon or a 10th level player and a weapon for a 20th level player in a progression in a particular weapon series, right? We can only pick 3 to 5 things. You you, just, you can't get you know all the different holes there. So one of the things you're trying to do is plug in all those holes so now you can kind of have a smoother progression from I've got a 22 all the way up to a 50 BMG uh, sniper rifle. So you you kind of have that progression same thing for lasers pulse weapons etc 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 so a lot more flexibility of play Um, and we're focusing it on personnel carryable weapons and yes ram pythons can carry almost anything but we're thinking human portable more so than ram pythons and uh so we're leaving out the heavy machine guns anything that's more vehicular based that's going to be for a later book so no more no additional pulse machine guns and mega machine guns etc
2: And no uh, full uh, Borg, Borg suits, basically full uh, cybernetic conversions. Um, Prior editions had the desk strong and we. I haven't had enough room to put in the stuff that we want to for that. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, so not everything, but a lot more. And the good news
1: is the good news is that means there's more to come.
2: Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So how do you do it? How do you sit down and decide, OK, this is the kind of gear we want? And this is I mean, this because you're you're genuinely I, I'd imagine there's some basis on. All right. We have flak vests. How can we make that battle lord style? Right. Let's take a flak vest and take it to the 23rd century. Or Dave mentioned a 22. What's a 22 look like in the 23rd century?
1: Not Not, not that useful, honestly, but. <laughs> Sometimes all you've got is a sharp pointy stick, a knife, and a .22. Um, So in terms of, to come back to your question, though, uh, we do a lot of thinking about what are the mechanics that we have? What are the ways to combine those mechanics that we haven't thought of? Is that something we could put into a piece of equipment, a piece of armor, or a weapon? What are weapons mechanics that we have kind of hinted at but haven't baked out and we want to add in as additional weapon mechanics? Um, Or we've shown them, but we haven't made it a feature of a weapon. Some of it's what's going on today in terms of DARPA and where they're going with things. So the ability for the Israelis to shoot a missile directly from their main gun of their uh, tanks, the Merkava. Like, okay, well, what would that look like if we went forward? Some of it's about um, thinking in terms of NATO. There's a reason why we have NATO, you know. NATO rounds, seven, six, two, right? Five, five, six, because we want interoperability. So part of what we did on the back end and the core rules was just, how do we get this where if you're actually in a war, you can pick up your buddy, you know, your dead buddy, he's dead. You need weapons to shoot the things that are coming at you. And there's a hundred of them and you've got 50 shots and you need more shots. It being, making more interoperable, the original rules, they weren't. So, you know, oh, he's got a pulse gun. I've got a laser. I guess I'm just going to shoot and turn out and then I'm hit him with the laser, so just trying to think about how, how does this all evolve and come together? Um, and some of it actually wraps into the backstory of, of things. So what, uh, what's going on with uh, automation? So kind of like where Dune took a step back from artificial intelligence. You should not make a machine, right, in the image mm-hmm. of a man's mind. Not quite as extreme as Dune, but there's definitely some things around there where, even though it's way far in the future, Full free roaming AI isn't something we run into and, and we don't talk about it too much, but there's some backstory behind that as to why. So there's a reason. There's always a reason. So that's kind of a little bit of how we, at least how I get into looking at new weapons, Kurt, and you get into some really cool stuff on ideas for equipment. <laughs>
2: well, to go back to your, your question on the 22, there's still 22s because there are uh, tier three worlds, which are basically, um, you know, you got a colony on it. What can they afford? What can they get? Well, the th- sometimes the only thing they can afford and get is what we would term archaic power weapons or current day technology. So machine guns still going to work against, the, you know, a lion or, or a hippo. It just may not work well. Um, but uh, so those weapons are still available and still usable, but they're usually only seen on these outer uh, low tech worlds. Um, Now, you know, you get into some of the cooler toys and stuff we get to, like uh, uh, one of the autonomous uh, recycler units on the battlefield. It guarantees you to get to 95% uh, uh, combat efficiency. Um, It literally wanders around the battlefield picking up the dead, or mostly dead, and uh, will either recycle the dead for, for their organic material, or will put you back together, stronger, faster, better. But remember, this was designed by the lowest common bidder and uh, the ch- with the cheapest product. <laughs> so you might get out and l- or might be the wrong species or it might be an inch or two shorter or longer. So, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things that might happen as this thing repairs you and puts you back to 95% combat efficiency.
4: Oh, man. I you like to get put into a, a grinder and come out a bunny person.
2: I think that shows up. Um, yeah, possible. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah.
4: I think that's a really great idea. The idea that um, someone could be using like a pulse rifle from Alien and then end up in combat operations with someone using like a bolter from 40K and have them be like, yeah, we've already figured this out. Like, It's powered by the same power source. You can use that. Like I think that shows a level of like depth that I had not thought of and never would have hit my mind.
2: Well Dave Dave's call
1: sign is OCD and a (laughs) quarter. It's like this would drive me nuts. I can't just take this and put it in that. I can't shoot. Why not? I need a reason. And it's like, well, we're going to have control of this. Why Why can't we? Right? So, so how does it make, because again, it's, it gets back to crunch too. Is it helping with the gameplay and is that consistent with what's, what would be going on, right? In a longstanding conflict, you don't want to have that question mark. If I reach for this weapon, pull out the magazine, put it in mine, I'd like to know there's an 85% chance or better that I'll be able to use it. Sometimes it's like, I've got an archaic powder gun. Yeah, that's not going to help me. Or... Um, our pulse weapons have a plasma um, plug that it's accelerating out. I can pull the energy part out of it and I can slap it into my laser and that's good. So I can yeah. cabbage and, and cannibalize without too much effort versus reaching over and having to scrounge and go, I need two minutes in the middle of combat. Yeah, in two minutes this thing's over.
4: Yeah. I. That's super cool.
3: Yeah, it definitely makes fun for it. Like, I can just see the exploring and just all the different worlds of being like, wait, okay, we'll come back in 150 years when you figure out some stuff. You're not ready for this tech. We'll just leave you be. Like, I can see the politics there of, yeah, us as earthlings, people are just looking at us like, yeah, give them time. They'll sort it out. We'll,
1: we'll bring them in later.
3: We'll just leave them
1: be. And the reason that the humans got pulled in was because um, we're good at adapting and we're prolific. So, um that was a, a good combination help with the war effort they're like okay you're not exactly where we need you to be but we can't afford to wait any longer so congratulations here's a whole bunch of tech here's a bunch of worlds go out and populate them and uh we're gonna need your best and brightest uh or you know and best and brightest is defined by can you see lightning and hear thunder because i need like 50 more of you out on the front line right now it's awesome
0: if if i'm not mistaken and you guys correct me if I'm wrong. Previously, Charlie Foxtrot was your most recent Kickstarter. Is that correct?
1: Correct.
2: Yes.
0: Okay. So at what point as the Charlie Foxtrot campaign was going on or or did you already know that you were going to do another book and that you're going to bring it to Kickstarter? Or was it after that campaign was successful where you thought, you know what? We could do another one and, and do the same pro- uh, process.
1: We have a pretty extensive product plan uh, roadmap. Um, so we actually have several Kickstarters planned for the next couple years. The exact order may shift, um, but we've got Savage Worlds coming, uh, Savage Worlds Battle Lords. So that's um, in final rounds, we'd call it in beta at this point from a playtest perspective. Um, we're just really down to dotting I's and crossing T's on that one. So that's coming. And then the supplements for that one. Uh, we also have uh, additional work for vehicles coming and spaceships coming, and and the, and we have all this material we haven't been able to fit in because we're like, okay, we're going to make it 100 and it's got to be divisible. The printer we used, it's got to be divisible by 16. And so that's you know you got this unit and you're like, okay, here's all this cool stuff we can throw in here. Okay, um, yeah, we're over here. I need to like, we need to pull 50 pages. <sighs> Fine. All right, let's pull this and this and this. That's where Kurt comes in. Yep. And well, it happens with weapons. It happens with the equipment. It, we're like, this is cool. Let's throw this in, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And I'm I'm usually halfway in. I'm like, guys, um, we gotta like, because we're gonna be pulling it again. But uh, so we have all this material that we've already got built. We have an idea of where we want to be. Um, we adjust we adjust our product time uh, timeline and things as, as appropriate um, as opportunities come up. So,
0: so was fully armored originally scheduled to come in after Charlie Fox shot, or did that get shifted?
2: Um, it, originally we wanted to do it almost right away after the original book, but, uh, uh, we had had the, the scenarios that we'd used for Gen Con for years. And one of the things Tony did in a, a an analysis of like, um, what's going hot in, um, uh, RPG circles. And one of them was preset adventures, which, you know, when we were young, we didn't buy them because we just made up our own stuff um uh, but apparently they've gotten really popular so we're like well we've got all this we just need to slap it together and, and polish it up and you know make it print print worthy and, and we'll go from there and then we'll work on fully armored because it was actually easier to do that and i think we were all kind of burnt a little bit as well of going through the tables and and all that kind of stuff and trying to come up with something new so we took all that uh took all that and put it into charlie foxtrot and now we're coming back fresh with new eyes going okay how can we make this better what have we thought up since then that we've written down and let's let's keep going on that i know tony's doing the same thing like um we were looking for hostile alien life forms the howls so there'll be a book of those coming out too you know if you're tired against uh, tired of fighting against uh the same uh, mercenary units or mercenary type units you know that'll be okay <laughs> these are the really nasty aliens
1: mm-hmm. so, yeah, and that actually kind, uh, of, kind of points to the backstory as well um so one of the things that's prominently featured in the original um, version of this is called uncle ernie's uh, minions of doom so uncle ernie is a mad scientist in more than one sense of mad um and he loves he 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 is basically he loves bioarchitecting new species and it's like ooh you know, that's got really good fangs. If I put that with a lion's jaw and, and he's just like, I can make this really cool chimeric thing that might be really dangerous. And let's see how it does. Let's drop it on a world and see how it does in the uh, downtown area of, say, a Los Angeles type city. Ooh, yeah, that was pretty good. But I can make it better. What if it could spit acid? <laughs> and he just does these things. So some of these things uh, we get to get very creative about. Well, what if we had a critter that did X and uh, how would you fight that? And and so it, it just, it just spurs creative thought. Um, so there's a lot coming in this. That's going to be fun.
2: He is also responsible for the creation of the thought um, who, who, while they look like bunny people have every negative human trait associated with mankind. So, Bigoted, biased, uh, redneck, shotgun, you name it, uh, don't like other people, don't want them to really work. So they they literally, everything you could think worst about humans, they're it. only in a bunny that's stronger and faster than human. And they produce like, well, rabbits. So
0: Zach, Nolan, any questions before I
3: continue? Uh, I... I really, I was going to say, I, I enjoy the art um, on your guys' Kickstarter page. Uh, I Oh, yeah. I'm a some sucker of the for the sword saint. <laughs> so that thing is just sweet. Um, and I think it really does open up the uh, creativity of seeing some of the stuff, too. And I think that's the the fun thing as well, seeing some of the stuff that comes out of your guys' brain onto a page, seeing extra tentacles and monsters and mech suits and swords. It really is. I mean, you like sci-fi. You can kind of play whatever you want. So it's it's really cool. I mean, it, it yeah. looks great. Thank I like you, the yeah.
4: I like the sneaky Mjolnir armor you uh, sneaked into the uh, kick the quick start. That was kind of a fun little thing. Um,
1: yeah, we, from a from a book perspective, the the target we wanted was best in class. We wanted it to be coffee table worthy, where you could just set it out and just look at it for the art um, and the core rules. If you're curious, and so if you're out there and you're you're listening to this and you are curious, we do have in again five through RPG a free what's in what's in the book the list of some of the artwork. So you can kind of see that we have some really gorgeous artwork. Um, Tony is amazing at sourcing this stuff. He finds some really cool people that the hard part is that sometimes they get picked up by like, Oh, Disney and things. And then you're like, hey, dang it, can't afford them now. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Our- and Kiki has just done a phenomenal job with, with our covers. I mean, we kind of give her a, like a blank, okay, this is what we want. And then she comes back with these amazing drafts, and we're like, we don't know which one to pick. They're all phenomenal.
1: I want them all. How much? I think... It's cool.
4: I, I look at a lot of books. Um, I think there's almost... you am a librarian. librarian. I don't know if it's a lost art, but I feel like it's a declining art of hard sci-fi book covers. I don't know, you just don't see a lot of like the Timothy Zahn... Or uh Weber, kind of art anymore, and this just screams it. The art is so fantastic. And thank yeah, you you've just done an amazing job of finding and developing the talent who could make this kind of stuff,
1: yeah, I think part part of it, again, kudos to tony, is is really framing the themes that we're looking for. Um grit, grime, and graffiti are a common theme. So, when you look at sci-fi, there's kind of, you know, more of a utopian kind of a view. So you see very clean, clean, clean art, like uh, Star Trek or like Guardians of the Galaxy, where everything's in bright colors, you know, very white whites, very bright colors. Everything is just spotless. And then you've got it's lived in. You've got like Star Wars has that lived in or Firefly, where things can fall off, right? And so we're very much in that vein, or Blade Runner, where... It's just, you know, nasty fog and, and things are all gritty and nasty and things have been graffitied and all that. And so he does a really good job of framing what kind of a, a world uh, experience we're looking to to push out. there
2: And we've got a couple of artists that have uh, understood what we're talking about so well that uh, like one of the guys that uh, on the Rosette. We literally—I had the description written out. We gave it to him. He come back with something that was a little bit different than what we had envisioned. And I'm like, "That's it. <laughs> I'm changing the description to match what he drew because that is freaking phenomenal." So <laughs> you know, it's kind of we—we tell them what we want, but if they can come up with something like we told uh, one of them, we're like, "We need something that's scary." This is the basis of what it looks like and he sent us something back we're like yes (laughs) you know and so that we we it's nice that as designers we've got the freedom to be able to say yeah this is cool i'm changing what i thought because or changing what we'd expected because this is better than i had hoped
3: well i think that speaks to you guys' love of the system as well um we find a lot not not with these games but I, i play like world of warcraft and it's like no we're the experts this is how we want it and you guys having that uh, love for the system of saying it's better than i even thought you know like that's cool and that 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 makes it a funner game to play as well because then you it's not your system it's our system And, and and that comes through on these
0: pages thank you let's talk about let's go back to the book itself especially as someone let's say somebody who's never heard of Battlelords and they listen to this show and they decide they want to go check out this Kickstarter project and be involved in it. What's something that a new person coming to this game would get out of this book?
2: Um. Well, in this Kickstarter we do have, and this is probably the cheapest and best ways to get all the books that we have, but we have the ability to give them the core rules, or not give them, but you know they can purchase it with the core rules and the additional, as well as uh, there's one that's everything we've got, which it allows them to purchase that plus the add ons and things like that. So we've also gone out with our, our art director Ray has made up some swag, which is basically different uh, uh, things like toe tags and, and uh, dog tags, as well as I, Cyberdyne ID badges and stuff like that. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things you can pick up on this and kind of get an idea. Honestly, with, uh, The quick start guide in this book, you could almost run your your regular games because it has all the armor, equipment, and weapons uh, from the original in the tables. That way you can, you know, look through and see, okay, this is the progression, this is how it goes. But you know, there's so much more in the original core rule book that you could use for this. It would literally just get you started and enough to go, oh, I got a lot of toys now.
1: And I'll add that the Kickstarter, we have a lot of add-ons where you can just independently so we kind of have essentially three main funding levels. There's the $20. I just want the PDF of the new book. Um, you can have hundred dollars. We got the PDF and print of both. There's actually, there's a $50 level where you're getting the print and PDF of the book. hundred is give me the core and the new book. Um, and there's all the things, 150 and there's a bunch of other stuff thrown in. But once you get to hundred dollars, we throw in a lot of other stuff, maybe even the 50. Um, but there's also the ability to just to customize it. We, we, we like to give people the ability to get crunchy. And so, you know, you want dog tags? Great, just add it in. You, you want a PDF of something that's a previous edition? Great, add it in. Uh, you want to just add in a print copy? Just add it in. So it, that flexibility lets someone choose exactly what they want to fund and how they want to fund it, and they can start $20 and work their way up or, or whatever.
0: It looks like at $100, you can get the print of the core rules as well as print of fully armored. And... At a hundred bucks, I mean, I know there's there's some some books where you can just get the core, or some games where it's just the core rule book for ninety plus. So that's that that's a especially how big is the core rule book? Like five hundred ninety two pages?
1: Five and a half pounds of love. Five hundred forty four pages,
2: and uh, I will say that once we run out of this print of of that book, um, the next edition will probably or the next revamp with uh, you know all the all the errors we found in it corrected and everything else. Will be more expensive because, well, unfortunately, prices have just gone up,
1: especially on paper has gone through the roof for anybody who
2: has to publish. So
0: that's that, and that actually leads me to another question. With all the issues that we're seeing with printing and with shipping and all the woes across the world with that, was there any concern with bringing this to Kickstarter, especially right now with the dynamics of shipping and printing?
1: Not so much. Um, we had this hit us in the first Kickstarter, actually. So it's it's not a new problem for us. <laughs> we've gone through two Kickstarters now where, okay, what is the price of paper going to be by the time we print this? What's it going to cost to ship things, et cetera, et cetera? So we're, can't say we're perfectly aligned for that because, you know, it's got a crystal ball that's perfect, but we've made allowances for that so that as the price of paper goes up uh, and, and, we get that shock. We can kind of go, yep that that's within our our margin, and we're good to go. Because um, between when we had the first Kickstarter and when we printed, it doubled, <laughs> and that was painful. Um, that that put a hurt on our cash flow.
2: And this time too, what we did was we waited a little bit longer. Like I've got most of the layout done, so really all we've got to do is slap the uh, artwork in and kind of finalize it. Pretty it up, make sure everything's the way we want it, and then go from there. Yeah,
1: and that's actually that's a really good point because when we do our kickstarters, that's that's we've shifted to that model. So our first one, we had, hey, this is what we're going to have when we're done. We had the vision, but we didn't, we hadn't built everything out to that point. Um, with Charlie Foxtrot, it was all in layout, so being able to PDF it and get it out to people pretty quickly wasn't that hard, right? Same thing here. We, we've got things already in layout for the most part. We're just missing smart work and tweaking things and things like that. So it's really far down the, the, the pipeline from a project perspective, getting to print takes a little more work, but the, the PDF side of things can pop out pretty quickly. It
4: sucks. it sucks. There's nothing we
1: can do about it either. Life happens.
2: And that's the other thing too. We, we've we actually been getting the PDFs out ahead of time. So if they get the PDFs with it, you'll at least be able to see what you're doing and, and uh, at least pull it up if, if you're using that in your gaming group.
3: That helps as well.
2: Just, nothing like
3: back in a Kickstarter and not seeing something for three years, you know, so that, that that I could have it, I can play it. And when it comes in, it's going to be awesome, but let's get started.
4: Exactly. I, I understand wanting to release everything like together, but it's so helpful when creators will just give us the PDF early. Um, nothing's ever going to replace the feeling of holding a book in your hands. Uh, But it's really nice when we can at least get it in some way. So we really appreciate you sending out the PDFs early, um, even if global supply lines mean that the paper can't come in early.
0: Yeah. I appreciate that. So as you guys are writing these books... Or you're coming up with new ideas for books for the game. Do you have a core group of creatives, or do you reach out for freelance writers? Uh, is there a way for people who are interested in getting into writing for Battlelords that they can contact you and 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 help write some of this stuff? How, what's that process like?
2: Currently, that's all in house. It's literally um, we we are all pretty good about bouncing ideas off each other, and we've got a core group of friends that we play uh, video games and stuff like that with. And, and so we'll bounce idea off of them as well. But I mean, it's kind of interesting that, uh, I mean, the three of us, I've got an associate's in chemical engineering. I'm an RN and I did technical writing. So my background is all over the place, <laughs> you know, completely different systems. Um, Dave is a physics major that does IT. <laughs> as And now he's running a farm uh, as well. So, I mean, it's all over the place. Tony is a biology major that did IT and is now a lawyer. So, I mean, our backgrounds kind of span so much of the area. And uh, our wives are just just as diverse. I mean, mine is, is a pharmacist with a bachelor's in chemistry and biology and a master's in public health administration. So, if I want to know how things... Could run when I'm writing up like a species, uh, uh, government and stuff like that. I'm like, I'll throw, Hey, what do you think on this? And she'll pop back and then i will throw it out to Tony and Dave. And they're like, well, you know, let's tweak this a little bit, but yeah, that sounds cool. And so it's, it's literally by the time we get through it, we got so much feedback from people with all sorts of different backgrounds that were just kind of like, this is cool. I never thought of it that way.
1: The other thing I'll say is that uh, from time to time, we'll throw out opportunities to um, beta test with us. So always watch for that because anyone who wants to get involved in that, um, we provide a mechanism to do that. We usually post it through all the different social medias. Um, And we have very active engagement with Discord, too. People ask questions about how would I do this, how would I do that. Uh, And so it's, uh, it's it's a great way to get engaged as a community.
0: What is something about this book, and we're going to ask both of you this, that you're most excited about? Kurt, we'll start with you. What is the <laughs> one thing in this book that you can tell us uh, that you're most excited about?
2: Well, since I'm, I'm doing the uh, cybernetics and the uh, equipment, I'll pick one from each. The crawler, the, it's, a, uh, it's the repair device for the battlefield. And like I said, you, it goes around. Well, it was designed by Fintari, so it is extremely efficient at what it does. But, you know, it was also designed by the lowest Bitter. So that DNA it sucked in to, to use to repair you on, well, a little bit of might have got on that scanner. So, yeah, that's why you've got that uh, Ram Python arm on the human. Uh, Ram Pythons are about nine foot tall. <laughs> so you're walking around dragging your metal arm but it will guarantee to return you to 95% combat efficiency before it, as you exit the the unit or exits you from the unit. Also, you know, kind of sick, twisted part of that is because anesthesia reduces your combat efficiency and reduces the time it can get you back on there. It doesn't give you any. It just paralyzes you. (laughs) So you can't move. (laughs) It completes the the necessary uh, uh, repairs. Also, you can feel it. Jesus. Oh my gosh. just spits you back out. Yes. <laughs> so, uh, the other, and this is a cybernetic that I, uh, come up with is, uh, uh, the brain launcher. So you, you suffered catastrophic damage and you're going to die. Um, and you're still, you know, being shot as you're falling down. This, this cybernetic literally launches your brain out of your head and flies it back towards, uh, uh, friendly territory or behind limelight lines because if they can get a hold of your brain they can get a grow you a whole new body it's expensive and you'll probably end up working for them for the rest of that life too but you're alive and it's easier to do that than to retrain somebody to take your place on the battlefield so wow yes and, and this and this is probably the coolest part of that i actually had to research the G force that a human brain could withstand before it liquefied or caused damage. And you would not believe how much information is out there from the NASA and Air Force on how fast you can (laughs) accelerate a brain before there's actual damage.
1: (laughs) We're probably all on lists. So
2: the number yes. So the numbers in there are are based off real world science. So I'm like, yes.
1: We do start with the real science.
4: What awesome. what is what is the speed before a brain liquefies?
2: It's roughly hundred and twenty kilometers an hour in acceleration. Okay. <laughs> just a few uh, Gs. Just a just few. A few. Just a yeah. Pretty durable.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Dave, what about you? What is what is the thing you're most excited for? In this I,
1: I can't top that. It's really that. I mean that 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 that, that crawler is really the thing. When, when, when Kurt said, "I got this idea," what do you guys think about a like that sick and wrong? It's in. It's in. I don't care if we got to cut other pages of guns. We're, we're putting that in. It's got to go. Um. So so that's that's kind of probably the most favorite. customizable grenades. So that's the one I'll throw in from weapons. Um, the ability to say, "Hey, I want a a, a grenade that I can throw and it's got little spider legs and." Will crawl up on the armor and go and land on their faceplate, staring at them. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of fun. And then for those players who've been around for a long time, I mentioned that this is not just the old stuff renewed. That's one example where we never had spider bots before that you could sh- and blow up on your face. Also, a savage E. So for those who are familiar with the Savage series of laser pistols, there's an A, B, C, and D. Now there will be an E. Uh, which will blend the best of metal gun technology to burn a little hole through the armor that your laser can then follow to get to the stuff in the middle of the armor a lot easier. So, interesting concept in a weapon. Goes through batteries fast. Pack a lot of extra EMAGs. The other fun thing that we do, I'll throw out there as well as, and you'll see this in the core rules as well, is we throw in lots and lots of little Easter egg pop culture references. So that's just something to watch for because they're all over the place. We've got Monty Python references. We've got um, Ren and Stimpy's in there. We're just There's all kinds of random references that as you re- read through the book, you're like, wait, did they just say that? It's
2: Hitch- Hitchhiker's Guide. Hitchhiker's Guide. That's great.
0: So you, the initial asset you have for this Kickstarter project is $16,500. I'm just curious, how do you guys come up with that number? I've always been, I always wonder how, how uh, developers say, okay, this is the price tag we need
1: to be at. So part of it's getting the quotes to support the publishing process. Part of it's laying out the book from the beginning. So we talk about how important page count is. Once you know the page count, you know how many pages you got. And then from there, you figure out how much art you're going to have. And then you got to figure out how much new art you're going to have. Um, how much is your budget for total art for the entire book? So there's a cost. Um, and, you know, a few other things, but but broadly, how many pages? What's it cost to print that? What's the artwork? And um, that gets you a lot of it. Um, and then there's, okay, well, how much is paper going to go up? Ah, crystal ball. Take your little magic eight ball app. Whew, okay. Uh, you put a number in for that, um, some allowance for some other things. Um, and that's we had a, in the Kickstarter. Um, we added a, a stretch goal for additional art because we really love the art, but we kind of keep this one content focused if we can. But if we can get more art in it, great. Um, so it's that's part of it as well, right? Then figuring out what are the stretch goals you want to add that'll help augment the product or build other things in. So...
2: The other thing we look at, too, is, you know, how much of this can we do ourselves? Uh, You know, how much can we uh, do things ourselves to save money? Like uh, one of our uh, friends, our art director, Ray, uh, runs a film screening printing business. So he does like uh, a lot of the retooling. We get old artwork. He'll retool it. So, you know, for like Mike's uh, Mad Mike's uh, mercenary catalog, they'll take that and put prints and stuff around like that around it. So uh, uh, we'll be able to use it in different ways. So it may be the same picture, but it's, you know, and a lot of that work he does for free.
0: So do you ever like, is there, when you're coming up with that number, do you ever estimate how many books you're going to need printed?
1: Yeah, we absolutely have a a goal in mind of how many books to print and how many backers supporting that number of books. Um, And then it gets, trick here because of the way that Kickstarter has changed funding so that that adds a wrinkle to things. But uh, yeah, looking at how many of the of the new book we're trying to sell, um, and then trying to take a guess at how many new players um, would love the opportunity to jump in at a, at a cheaper price point and, and have a lot more material all at once. Um, and uh, surprisingly, uh, a very happy surprise, we've gotten quite a bit of new people playing um, that are jumping in at that uh, level where they pick up the, the print and PDF of both the core rules and the new book. So.
2: And we also have to account for storage costs because those go up as well.
1: Yep. And we have two different distribution partners. We've got uh, we've got one based out of the UK. We've got one based out of the US. So part of it is w- what are the distribution costs and how do we make sure we're, you know, accounting for that as well. It's it's it's, it's there's a whole business behind this and the business part of it, yeah, you know, it's distracting from the the fun and creative side. But you gotta you gotta take care of those things. How you make sure you get your kickstarters out.
0: Any concerns about delays? We've seen some Kickstarters that are being delayed six, seven, eight, nine months. Any concerns about that?
2: Well, there's always concern that uh, it'll take longer to get the books. I mean, obviously, since um, we found a great printer, but they're in Europe. So, you know, to get this stuff over here, it's easier to get it to UK, except for now that they're no longer part of uh, if Since Brexit, it's a little bit harder to get it in there now, too. Um, but uh, getting it over here—that I want to say—last time it took two and a half, three months to get here and get through customs to get to our uh, uh, distributor. So I'm like you said, that's one of the reasons we want to release the PDFs as soon as we can. Is we want to get it to the players. So the faster we can do that,
1: the better. Other oddball things you learned about is customs. If you never have to, if, for those listening, if you never have to deal with customs. You're, you're happier for it. It's an important job. It needs to be done. But uh it is, is definitely one of those things where there's rules and these rules will be followed. If they're not followed, then you'll have more forms. <laughs> just give me my books. Get my books to the distributor so I can send them out.
0: Nolan, Zach, any other questions? No, it
3: looks cool. I who doesn't like loot, right? I mean, that's just kind of the moral of the story. It doesn't matter what game you're playing, loot is cool better ways to make death and mayhem um, and apparently get salvaged. So it, it sounds awesome. I can't wait to get reconstructed as something horrible.
4: Uh, no more questions from me. Just uh, thanks for coming on and talking to us.
1: I appreciate it. And I just, uh, yeah, thank you both like, so much. Just to tag back to the comments. Thanks for having me. Tag us. back to the comments on the Kickstarter. We uh, we're at uh, 78% funded. So it's about three, 3000, a little over $3,000 left to go. So great, great time to jump in. The odds of funding are very high. Um, You know, knock on wood, everything goes well, but uh, we, we're definitely in a good position to fund. We've got 20 some days to go, so plenty of time to jump in there. And again, if you're if you're starting new and you've never seen this, take a look at the Quick Start Rules. Take a look at the, guard, uh, the art guide. You'll see what's in the core rules. And there's options that let you jump in with the core rules and this new book all at the same time and a lot of other stuff thrown in as well. So it's, it's a great opportunity that uh, is not going to be there once the Kickstarter is done. We'll start shutting things down and then at that point that that deal will be gone so that's just something else to think about um if you want to get a hold of us um we're available on all the social medias we have a couple of twitter accounts one was from granny and uh granny's one of the characters in the books um so she's she's always got a got some fun twists on things um we have instagram we have uh facebook groups there's two of them out there uh, and then we have a discord group and that's uh pretty active in terms of uh, an active, knowledgeable player base that helps, uh, helps each other out as you're thinking about game ideas, or how would this work, or somebody new saying, hey, what's this game about? We just had a, a good half an hour back and forth. Um, I think it was Thursday, because somebody's like, hey, what is this? I just heard about it. And I'm like, do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have the other? And yes, 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 yes. And like, I got to get this now. <laughs> so lots of ways to get engaged.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So there's 21 days left. 187 people have backed it. You're sitting at $13,000, I believe, $24. Uh, you're asking 16500 Fairly certain you're going to get there. Uh, it seems like everything you guys do put out does get funded, and and everybody that I've talked to about the game that's familiar with it absolutely loves it. So kudos to you guys for yet another project. I I, I certain that we'll be sending you congratulations once it's fully funded
1: certainly hope so we're trying for and we'll mm-hmm. have more kickstarters coming so you know, like i said we've got a, a long product launch catalog in front of us and we've we've already got the next one so pretty much queued up so we're starting to the nice problem we have to have is we're kind of backing up on our kickstarters like i got to get this one in now because the next one's coming and we're gonna have to get that one so we're averaging a little over one new book a year um, One major print one, and then we're doing a lot of PDF content in the middle to kind of help for things that uh, just we're not quite fleshing out into full print form yet. Um, just to keep new content coming constantly. Our goal is to have at least a couple things out every year.
2: And most of the stuff in those ones, uh, particularly the one that's already out, the Warmonger's Guide, is just stuff we couldn't get in the main rule book. You know, extra information on the species and stuff like that. So,
0: well, I do have links in the show notes too the Battle Lords website to the Kickstarter to, like I said, the red moon role playing uh live action or uh, actual play. Cause I think it's fantastic and everybody needs to listen to it. So it's a great way just to see what something is like in battle Lords. Um, so all those links are in the show notes as well as links to all the social media platforms, because we've had you on before and I'm like, well, let's just grab everything and just get it right back in here. Um, and I'd like to say next time you guys have a project coming out, just like you did this last time, reach out to us. Cause we'd love to bring you back on and, we can tell the world about what, what your next project is. Appreciate
1: that. Thank you very much.
0: Kurt, Dave, thank you so much for coming on the show this week. We greatly appreciated yeah. Battle Lords of the 23rd century. If you like science fiction, if you like mixing your science fiction, if you want to dash a Firefly with Star Trek and Star Wars, by all means, this is the game for you. So you need to make sure you check it out. drive through RPG is the probably the easiest and fastest way to get it with the free quick start rules. So make sure you're checking that out. All the links are in the show notes. Nolan Zach, do we have anything else before we wrap up this Thank week. Thank you guys for coming on. yep we really appreciate it
2: Thanks for well, having yeah, us. Thanks for having
0: us. That is our show for this week. Thank you, Kurt. Dave. We appreciate it and we hope to be talking to you again soon. Thanks everybody. have a great week. Bye. bye